Welcome to Researchers on the Record. This series is brought to you by the Physiotherapy Research Foundation, which supports the promotion and translation of research and is sponsored by PainAway, Australia's number one pain relief brand containing naturally derived active ingredients and partner of the Physiotherapy Research Foundation. Hello and thanks for listening. My name is Claire Pickering and I'm delighted to welcome to the show Professor Julie Heights. Julie, thank you for taking the time to speak on the record with us today. Thanks for having me, Claire. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the people on whose country I'm speaking from today, the Yulukit Wheelam people of the Boomerang country that make up the Greater Kulin Nations. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and thank them for their wisdom and continuous care of this land. And where are you speaking from today, Julie? I'm on the land of the Turrbal people, and I'd like to acknowledge their elders, past, present and emerging. So before we dive into the magical world of research, I'd love it if you could take us back to the beginning of this journey for you, Julie. How did you end up working in physio and working in research? Well, physiotherapy, I was attracted to from high school. I'd have to say I think you're incredibly lucky if something you choose when you're 17 is what you actually enjoy for the rest of your days. So physiotherapy, I was really attracted to it around exercise, fitness, health, and helping people. So it was amazingly a very good fit for me. I've had lots of different twists and turns in my physiotherapy journey, but it's still a profession that I value and love today. So how did you hear about physio at such a young age? It actually wasn't really well known, (laughs) showing how old I am. Uh, Basically, when I was a physiotherapy student and I'd say I was studying physiotherapy, people would often say, what's that? No one these days would say, what's a physiotherapist if you said that you were a physio? And I think my first interest was probably sports injuries myself, thinking that we could, you know, lots that we could do to help people. How did you end up working in research? Well, that was quite an interesting journey too. And I I can reflect on finishing physiotherapy. And in those days at the University of Queensland, you stayed for an extra year to do honours. And I met with my head of school and was so lucky to be offered honours. And she said, do you see yourself in a life of research? And of course, 20-year-old me said, no, (laughs) I want to get out into the workforce and earn some money and treat people and travel. And so interestingly, I enrolled in the first Masters of Physio program in 1990, and I was the youngest one to go onto that program. But I had to do Masters qualifying first because I hadn't done honours. Right. So that was a (laughs) a bit of a curveball. But in the Masters of Physio program, which was coursework Masters, because I was very interested in clinical work, it had a research component. And I did a study as part of that, looking at people with back pain and using imaging to look at muscles and loved it and thought when I finished, I still want to do my clinical work, but I'd be really interested in researching this further. So you finished that and you started your clinical work. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing in those early days and then how you ended up moving into research? Yes, I was working at the MARTA hospital and originally at the MARTA, I thought I wanted to be a paediatric physiotherapist. (laughs) And then um, the MARTA kindly sponsored me to do the musculoskeletal masters. And that's where I did that research project. I went back to the hospital and still kept on um, studying part-time and decided that I'd like to do a PhD, which there weren't many physiotherapists doing PhDs in those days. And the hospital supported me to actually run a, a randomized clinical trial in the hospital setting. So I think I was very lucky. I was, I was very well supported. And uh, it probably at that age, if people hadn't said, I think you can do this and believed in me, I don't think I would have managed to do it. 
So can you tell us a little bit about that clinical trial? Yeah, so it was following on from the, the masters where I worked out how to use imaging to look at back muscles. We looked at people who hurt their backs for the first time and the ED would, would ring me and I'd go up at any time to try and recruit them into the trial. And we measured their muscles and one group got exercise therapy and one group was the control group and we followed them up for three years and showed basically that if you hurt you back the first time, if your muscles really weren't in very good shape, you had a higher chance of recurring episodes of low back pain. And the group that uh, did do the exercises regained their muscles as did the other group, interestingly, but they had a much lower recurrence rate over the next three years. So in that acute sense, if your muscles aren't really working very well, if we can retrain them, it decreases your risk of recurrence of low back pain. So you said ED, so for listeners who don't know, that's emergency department. Could you explain a little bit about the imaging that you just mentioned as well as part of that trial? Ultrasound imaging, predominantly used in obstetrics to look at babies, hadn't really been used much in musculoskeletal work. It had been used in the UK where they'd looked at size of quadriceps muscles. But um, I was really interested in low back pain and I was very lucky at that time. My, um, my father, who has um, long since retired, was an obstetric specialist. Ah. So I'd often get a lift home from work and play around on the ultrasound and think, this is pretty amazing. You can kind of see muscles moving and it's like living anatomy. Why don't physios use this? Right. So he helped me how to work out how to actually image the back muscles. And I quickly realized that one of the main benefits of this type of approach is that ultrasound is real time. So you can see the baby moving around when it's obstetric imaging, mm -hmm. that you can see muscles contracting. So for muscles that are really quite hard for people to learn how to contract, they can get biofeedback. They can see the muscle contracting and feel it contracting at the same time. So that was the approach I used in my PhD to teach people how to actually contract these deep back muscles, which of course you can't see. And I've been very fortunate to use that in, in many aspects of research now, and it's opened many doors for me that I've had a very interesting research journey. So in that initial trial, sorry that I keep going back to it because it's completely fascinating for me. In that initial trial, the control group weren't having that diagnostic treatment. Is that correct? That's right. So acute low back pain, we know that in the majority of cases within four weeks, the pain will go, but the recurrence rate is staggeringly high, up to 80% in the first year. So it was still quite ethical to say that we weren't going to intervene because it was a new thing that we were trying that hadn't really been used before. So we had one group that just had routine care, which might have been medication, rest, advice to get active. And then our group actually did additional exercises and then we monitored them over the next three years. That's quite a long follow-up time as well. It's not normal in necessarily in physio practice to continue to keep seeing a patient that was an acute patient for such a long period of time. So that would have obviously given you a really good idea of how they're travelling years down the track. The long-term follow-ups were really fine. They, I didn't get them to come in again because they'd kind of scattered to the corners of the earth in the days when you could travel. Yes. <laughs> but I was very fortunate. I had um, Gwen Jalan and Carolyn Richardson were my supervisors and I can remember myself thinking, three years? <laughs> really? <laughs> and I think it made it a far more impactful trial. I was very lucky to have good supervisors who gave me good advice. So what was the next step after that trial for you? Uh, so after my PhD, I went back and uh, worked at the MARTA and started working for the University of Queensland, became an academic and started uh, lecturing, teaching, still doing some research with various bodies. 
started my family. <laughs> so my journey had a few twists and turns. I have three now adult children. So back then, that was just when I was starting my family. And I stayed at UQ for, for some time. And then I was approached to set up the physiotherapy program at ACU. So interspersed with my research, I've certainly had some less research-focused roles, such as leadership positions, head of school. I'm now at Griffith University, and they've started physiotherapy, speech pathology, and occupational therapy on their Brisbane campus. I love research, though, so I have been very fortunate to still maintain a research career while I've been doing uh, other leadership roles and as well as raising my family. Wow. So you've had a lot of uh, balls to juggle at this point in your career. (laughs) I do want to talk a little bit more about your academic career, but before we do, I want to talk about the Physiotherapy Research Foundation. When did you hear about this foundation and how has it helped with your research? So very early on, my PhD would have been 1994. So I'm probably one of the earlier (laughs) recipients of the Physio Research Foundation grant. But it was an amazing opportunity because it really gave me that leg up to start. And in fact, it paid for a second-hand ultrasound machine that I used in the Marta Hospital, and that's where all the patients in my trial were measured. So it, it made a huge difference. It was a real leg up to do it. As I said, not many people were actually even doing PhDs in those days. But it also was a huge confidence boost that, you know, I had this idea, I thought it was a good idea, that they would consider funding me was an enormous confidence boost to actually say, all right, well, there's people that think you could do this. So I'm going to really give it a go and give it my best. So it made a huge difference to me, not just in that it provided infrastructure and equipment, but just that confidence boost of the PRF saying, yep, we support this research. This is a good idea. And what were the clinical implications following your research for physiotherapy practice? Originally for me, it was around low back pain and trying to re-educate muscles, but the applications have been quite a lot broader. And I think the use of imaging as a feedback tool has been taken up worldwide now, which is pretty amazing, coming from pretty humble beginnings. I still go to the Marta Hospital. We have a back research clinic located in the hospital. And we just published last year a follow-up of 775 patients who have gone through the clinic. And that has been based on self-management exercise for people with low back pain. So I suppose through publications, through teaching students, through having PhD students myself. The techniques have been used in the clinical arena, but are also now adopted worldwide, which I'm I'm really quite proud of. And just the doors that it opened. So apart from back pain research, then a lot of sporting bodies became very interested in saying, well, you know, depending on how well your trunk is controlled, does this affect lower limb injuries? So I've had a long-term research relationship with the Brisbane Lions. So we still image the players and they have a program based on what we've used for back pain. Cricket Australia have been funded by the AFL Research Board. So the sporting studies have been really fascinating as well. And then probably the most exciting one is it has been taken up for astronauts. (laughs) Ah, tell us more about that. (laughs) When I was still at UQ and uh, Carolyn Richardson, my supervisor that I mentioned, we did some work with the European Space Agency and they run prolonged bed rest studies. So they put normal healthy people into bed for 60 days. And because they don't have a lot of astronauts to study, this is an analogue for space flight. 
So it's not the same as space in that you're not flipping around and moving, but you're taking gravitational loading away from your core. And again, no one was really that interested in the back at that time. All the studies were on the leg, which is much more easy to study. So uh, I joined some topical teams for the European Space Agency and looked at trunk muscles for the people that have been in bed rest and showed that you think of going to bed and prolonged bed rest that all your muscles will just shrink because you're not using them. Well, it's not the case. And in fact, it's not the case in space either. Some muscles get smaller, some muscles get bigger. Some muscles are very happy to be in bed rest. Some muscles very quickly deteriorate. And the deep muscles of the spine deteriorate quickly in bed rest as well as in space. So the next bed rest study that they had, I worked with the physio from the European Space Agency, Gunda Lambrecht, and we got to rehabilitate the people that had been in bed together. We showed that we could, we could get the regain their muscles and that led to work with ESA looking at reconditioning programs for astronauts. Wow. Uh, and I just published last year the, the series of the last 17 years of trips to the International Space Station and Gunda, the physio from Germany, came to Australia, learnt the imaging techniques and then looked at all the astronauts before they went up, when they came down and then after their rehab. And we've published the results showing that we can actually recondition the muscles once they come back from space. Wow. So from a small project idea that you had in Brisbane all the way to space, <laughs> what an incredible journey. Well, I was really lucky. I mean, last year I was actually in Germany when the um, astronaut came down from space. And of course it was right before coronavirus. And at that time people were really not that concerned about it. Yeah. And I think how amazing that I was actually start of 2020 in Germany. Wow. What a fascinating story. I do want to continue to talk about this a bit more, but I'm curious to know about you stepping into academia and what's the link with research and academia? Is there a link? Well, I think the basic premise of most academic roles, although it's quite flexible these days, traditionally was learning and teaching research and service. So that allocation has varied with different roles that I've had, but I've always been quite passionate to continue research. And I think teaching and the importance of research that you can say to students, this is the area that I work in and that they see that their lecturers actually are still in the clinic with patients. We are still researching because I think sometimes people get that idea if you're just sitting in your ivory tower and you don't actually interact with your community or you. Mm. So I've been super fortunate in my roles to still go to the back clinic. So I still interact with patients when we do data collection. Uh, we've done one of my uh, past PhD students studied schoolboys and rugby injuries. So we're out in the field in schools. So I have that interaction with lots and lots of different people. And I think in academia, the credibility when you still are in the community, you still see patients, you still do research yourself as well as teach. And you can say, okay, this patient came to the back clinic last week and had X, Y, and Z. So what do you think is going on? So that nexus between research and teaching and service and Part of my service now, obviously, is um, supervising other PhD students. And I suppose I've been so fortunate in so many ways during my career. It's time to give back and try and give younger, brilliant minds a leg up and the confidence that they can do this and help them where I can. So it's a bit of a full, full cycle, I think. Pain Away is Australia's number one joint and muscle spray and cream topical pain relief brand containing arnica and naturally derived active ingredients. The entire range of Pain Away sprays, creams and tablets is made in Australia, by Australians, for Australians. Always read the label, follow the directions for use. If symptoms persist, talk to your health professional. 
love being a physio. You work hard to be your best. You are driven to help others. Research is the backbone of the physio profession and the Physiotherapy Research Foundation, the PRF, is all about research. We offer research grants, promote research and make it easy for you to access the latest research by creating bite-sized content so you can stay up to date and on the front foot. We know you are passionate about delivering the latest, effective, evidence-based care to your patients. And as an APA member, you are directly contributing to the PRF. Thank you for your support so we can continue helping you to be your best. You are the PRF. To learn more about the Physiotherapy Research Foundation, head to australian.physio forward slash PRF. when physio students start out that research is not on the radar or is it on the radar? Are are physio students aware that they can have a career, whether it's part-time or full-time, as a researcher? That's a good question and it's pretty funny when I think back to myself thinking as an undergraduate 20-year-old, would I ever do research? (laughs) But one of the projects when we started the physio school at ACU was we got the students in first year to go and interview a whole lot of different physios and we got them to interview some very smart research physios and then they had to come back and report to the group so they got questions like how did you get interested in this what's your career progression like what do you earn and like a whole screen of questions but they came back and said oh my gosh the research physios were like really young and really engaging we thought they'd be old people in white coats with clipboards (laughs) not that there's anything wrong with old people in white coats with clipboards (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm allowed to say that because I'm probably <laughs> pretty close to that age bracket now. <laughs> so I think that perception of research is quite interesting. But when we present research and they understand that you're out in the field and you, it's quite interesting, I think, for physio students. And of course, for research in this day and age, you have to have the evidence underpinning what you do. So we're teaching them right from first year to say, even injury interactions with your patients, let alone your peers and other medical professionals or other people that you encounter, you have to have evidence for what you do. So that nexus between teaching and research is vital. So for people who are listening who are not physiotherapists, what does this evidence base mean and why does it matter to physiotherapy? I think at the moment with what's going on in the world with coronavirus and COVID, I mean, there's people interested in professions that never even heard of. So now we hear about the um, epidemiologists all the time on the, on the news. And I think we've never had a crisis in our lives like this where people are really now understanding how important research is. And you hear people talking about statistics, research, evidence for this vaccine, how much immunity you have at this time point. So I think for physiotherapy and health in general, and we've never had such a focus in our lives on health as we do at the current time, that um, understanding between the importance of research. Think of them standing up and applauding the inventor of AstraZeneca at Wimbledon. I mean, did you ever think you would see at a major sporting event a whole crowd standing up and applauding someone who developed a vaccine? I think we've never been more appreciative and understanding of research and what it means to our race than we do at the moment. And so for physios specifically, particularly for young physios, What is it that makes this evidence base so important? Obviously, it's to ensure that the practices are appropriate for the particular injury 
that's been treated. But on a broader sense, why does research and why does evidence base matter to the physiotherapy profession? I think from even your interaction with a patient as to why you're doing something, it's hugely important. And often we'll see someone and say, oh, I think it's this, we'll treat this and see how you respond and we'll adapt. But there's good evidence that if you actually have what I think this is, it will respond well. So that confidence and being able to estimate if someone will respond and conversely, actually this condition is something that's not really going to respond to the types of things I can offer you and what you need to do is this. I think it's um, hugely important, apart from your own confidence, apart from doing no harm. But I think it's so interwoven now that if you haven't, if you can't appreciate where the research fits into practice, they're so interwoven. I think you'd be struggling to find anyone now who wouldn't really understand that relationship and how important it is, even from delivering the most simple kind of treatment and explanation to your patient. And as I mentioned, I think patients are really looking for that these days. They really want to know that you do have some evidence for what you're doing. Absolutely. Going back to the Physiotherapy Research Foundation that we call the PRF, What's your advice to your younger students that you're teaching or physios entering the profession about the role of the PRF and why they should engage with the PRF? Really, you've probably hit the nail on the head. It's that research and learning and teaching and clinical delivery are so tightly interwoven. If we can engender that understanding into our students right from the start, I think they'll be in hook, line and sinker because it's so important to everybody. Yeah. And I think we have that probably a responsibility as um, academics as well, that there's many facets of our profession. They're all really important. But the idea of giving back, so even even when we, you know, we can tick and donate money when we do our registration and join the APA and that can help with the PRF, I think it is that sense of giving back and making the world a better place. I think we want that buy-in from everyone right from the start to make it successful. Yeah. Looking forward for you, I still got space in my head. (laughs) I'm curious to know where you're up to in your research career and what your plans are moving forward. Yeah, so at the moment I have um, five PhD students, so they keep me very, very busy. I certainly would still like to to work with the European Space Agency and, and they're just training a new physiotherapist now and I'm working with them. Working with some colleagues, we've just put in another grant for another bed rest study. In Australia, we now have the Australian Space Agency. So I'm pretty excited. They actually put an image of an astronaut in space on the International Space Station, having his back being ultrasounded. I taught the space physician who taught one astronaut to image another astronaut in space, and they put it in Questacon. So there's now a display of humans in space in Questacon in Canberra, and there's a picture of the imaging of back muscles in space. And it says it was developed by an Australian physiotherapist. And is your name attached to that? Yes, it is. So that's very good. And the Australian Space Agency at the moment has a technical advisory group for health sciences. And I'm on that technical advisory group. And they've just, there's a women in space group. And I've just gone into the Hall of Fame for women in space, (laughs) for space doctors. (laughs) incredible (laughs) pretty chuffed about that that's pretty good (laughs) yeah of course (laughs) so I think I've been given lots of really good opportunities 
and being involved in the Australian Space Agency is an amazing opportunity. I'm meeting amazing people that work in that sector and we've just received some funding at Griffith as well, an aerospace grant, which is looking across a whole lot of different levels and I'm sort of representing health on that group. And one of the things we're working on actually is the things we do with muscles and imaging them. We see pictures or images of muscles and we draw around them to establish the size and shape of the muscles and we're trying to use artificial intelligence to automate that to make it a whole lot more effective and quicker in the future and lots of good colleagues especially at University of Sydney and other Stanford places that we're working with to try and get this artificial intelligence together so no it's very exciting times. So what exactly is the artificial intelligence doing? Is it tracking the muscles? Is that the plan? Yes, so that you actually create a ground truth, so measure all the muscles by hand, and then you teach artificial intelligence to actually to be able to do the same thing. And what would that be used for? For example, for the astronauts, we look at the size of their muscles before they go into space or the bed rest studies. And then we look at what happens with the exposure. So usually, uh, say, the back muscles got smaller then you'd give them their exercises and see if you could get them back to where they were before they went into space. And instead of us spending months drawing around muscles, you could actually have a a program to do that for you. Is that information therefore transferable to a patient on Earth who perhaps has been in ICU for a long period of time? Absolutely. And there, there are huge parallels between what happens in microgravity and what happens to people on Earth. And if you think of conditions like osteoporosis, where the, the bones thin, I mean, that happens in space because you don't have gravity. Muscle atrophy, that could be people with low back pain. It certainly could be a lot of neurological conditions. And if one you could think of that it may help in the current context could be long COVID. And I have a very bright PhD student working on long COVID at the moment. Your intensive care conditions when people are ventilated for a long time. If you think of space travel at the moment, it's pretty fascinating. They've developed some really good equipment to help the astronauts in space, but they still, when they're in the International Space Station, have a video link back to Earth. So the physio in Cologne is actually watching the person exercise, and that's a whole other topic. If you think of exercise on Earth, obviously lifting weights, well, you can't lift weights in space without gravity. So they have to have equipment to tie them down and for them to exercise on, but they're getting feedback from the physio in Cologne. So when we exercise, we can feel where we are because we've got gravity on our joints. They can't feel where they are. So they're saying, oh, you know, bring your chin back in or correct the position of your pelvis. Or when they go to Mars, they won't be able to do that because there'll be like a 20 minute delay in the link and they won't be able to have the big equipment that they use on the International Space Station. Space travel in the future and the idea of us sending people to Mars, it will look very different and we will need to have done very good research to make sure that when they get out at the other end they can actually get out. And so it sounds to me as though what's happening at the moment is telehealth effectively. Absolutely yes yeah I've seen the physio of Gunda from from Germany I've seen her when she's been communicating with the astronauts and it is it's it's (laughs) telehealth gone mad isn't it that they're on the international space station and then being told how to do their exercises do you have ambitions to go to space yourself one day (laughs) no (laughs) no happy to stay right on on earth thank you very much no very happy to stay here (laughs) yeah yeah you know i'm very excited about the phd students that you're supervising at the moment so you know maybe they might be the next generation for series two of researchers on the record so 
I'll uh, speak to you off air about that so that we can follow their journeys as well, particularly with COVID. I think obviously that's going to be an issue long term. Sadly, with long COVID, we already know that. So please make sure that you let them uh, know that uh, we're looking forward to future series of this show. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I'm so excited about your research and and what's happening in the future, particularly with the space station. And maybe one day you might be able to talk through with us about what's happening on Mars. Who knows? Do we have any idea when that's going to be happening? Is that in our lifetime? Well, originally they were going for 2030. (laughs) Wow. That's not that far away. (laughs) And I think you might have have seen on the news that in America they're going to have a module set up which obviously they're not in microgravity, but just the effects of people being in that sort of isolation. It's a a module they're building. They're looking for volunteers. Wow. I don't think Australians can volunteer though. But it's if you think of space travel too, it's not just the effects on your musculoskeletal system. Of course, it's psychological and and you're with one little group of people. You can't really get away. You're in close confines. Yeah. There's a lot of challenges with that idea, that's for sure. Well, thank you again for taking the time and I can't wait to hear more about your future research and your students as well. And when we're allowed to, I will be visiting Questacon so I can see your name in lights and hopefully that will be sooner than later. Thank you for coming on Researchers on the Record with us today. Thank you, Claire. You've been listening to Researchers on the Record, an Australian Physiotherapy Association production, brought to you by the Physiotherapy Research Foundation and sponsored by Pain Away. To learn more about this episode's guest and the series, head to our website, australian.physio forward slash researchers on the record. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for listening.